So this is the Christmas season. All right, I don't know whether you are in the mood already or whether you have captured the spirit of a Christmas already. Uh, but today, let me just share with you in a sense a Christmas message. And I'd like to share on Christmas the good news. Christmas is the good news. All right, but Christmas the good news. For some people, Christmas is not good news. Why? Because they know that after Christmas, they have the post-Christmas blues. When they receive their credit card bill or statement, wow, you know, rack up so much expenses and they have to start paying. And in the West, Christmas can become and is actually one of the loneliest seasons of the year. When families are gathered together celebrating Christmas, those who may not have family members, those who are alone, it can be a very lonely time. And Christmas, to them, is not a good news. In fact, suicide rate is very high during Christmas. Surprisingly, yes. But, so you, but, but when the Bible talks about the Christmas story, it is always the good news. And there are many reasons why Christmas is good news. Let me just turn your attention to Mark chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 3. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Verse 2. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for Him. I, del- I have deliberately chosen my text from the Gospel of Mark. You seldom hear a Christmas message from the Gospel of Mark. Usually, is most often, it's either Matthew or Luke and sometimes John, but very seldom from the Gospel of Mark. But the Gospel of Mark is a gem in itself. It is acknowledged that the Gospel of Mark is the earliest Gospel written by John Mark, whom Peter, the apostle, recognized as his son, in the faith, of course. It is the earliest gospel written about the year 55 to 65 AD, just about three decades after the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, many of those who witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus Christ would still be alive. And if Mark has written anything that is out of the, uh, that is not factual, that is not true, they could easily uh, right, uh, correct him, rebuke him. So everything that Mark wrote was open for, for scrutiny for those who were alive in the days of our Lord Jesus Christ on this earth. It is the shortest gospel. And it is a gospel that was most often quoted by the other gospel writers. In fact, the whole gospel of Mark appeared in different portions of Matthew and Luke, especially, except for 13 verses that are not quoted. So they rely 
very heavily on the Gospel of Mark, being led by the Holy Spirit to give a Gospel account of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Gospel of Mark is a Gospel of action. The word straight away or immediately appears 42 times in this Gospel, showing that Jesus Christ is a man of action. What is important in the Gospel of Mark are the works, W-O-R-K-S, of Jesus rather than His words, W-O-R-D-S. And because of that, there are 19 miracles found in the Gospel of Mark and only four parables. 19 miracles and four parables, emphasizing on the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, what He did rather than just what he said, although the teachings are there as well. And so you find that the gospel of Mark is a powerful gospel, and each gospel writer, of course, approaches the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ in a different manner, emphasizing different aspects of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Now you have to understand that the gospel accounts are not biographies of our Lord Jesus Christ. In a biography, you have a lot of details. By reading a biography of a great person, you know so much about the person, you can even imagine how the person looks like. His behavior, mannerism, likes and dislikes, favorite anecdotes, and so on. But when you read the, after reading the four gospels, <coughs> You don't even know how Jesus looked like. Does he have long hair? Sharp nose? A very compassionate face? What does he like to do? What's his hobby? Does he smile a lot? Does he laugh a lot? Or is he very strict and serious? We do not know because... The gospel writers, are, uh, when they wrote, they do not intend to give a biography of the Lord Jesus Christ, but rather it's a summary of his life and his ministry. And of all the gospel accounts, you find that Mark is very, very distinct. And for that reason, I've chosen it. To talk about Christmas the good news. The good news. The beginning. Let's go back to the beginning of the good news. Must simply introduce his book by saying, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We can spend hours just dissecting as, you know, exegeting and doing an exposition of this verse in itself. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You see, in the gospel of Mark, there is no genealogy, unlike Matthew. There is no account of the shepherd. There is no angels. Is there a Christmas story in the Gospel of Mark? 
Many people say there's no Christmas story in the Gospel of Mark. Where's the Christmas story? Where are the angels? Where's the announce, an, uh, announcement of the birth of the Savior? There's nothing written at all, unlike the other Gospel right, uh, uh, accounts. Is there a Christmas story? Let's, let's dwell deeper into it and see. You see, in contrast with Matthew, who starts with the genealogy and needs 16 verses to announce Jesus is the king of the Jews. In contrast to John, who introduces his gospel with a sentence of 17 mystical and baffling words to show that Jesus is the Son of God. In contrast with Luke, who begins with a sentence of 82 words in order to tell the story of Jesus as the Savior of all men. Mark puts it all together in a simple sentence in the English language that comprises of just 12 words. In the Greek, it's only five words. But in the English language, 12 words. So said David McKenna. All that Mark says is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning. If you don't know where to begin, they say, what do you do? Begin at the beginning. All right? If you don't know where to begin, begin at the beginning. And that's why John, uh, sorry, that's why Mark tells us the beginning of the gospel. There are three theological beginnings in the scripture. The first one, in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Wow, this is a powerful theological beginning found in the Gospel of John that takes us back into eternity where the Word already existed, and the Word is already with God, and is God. Man, our human minds cannot really understand even John, the, John chapter 1, verse 1. If you can imagine the word Jesus Christ being right back even before the beginning of everything. He was with God. The second theological beginning is, of course, in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here, the writer puts a peg in, 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 in time to indicate that there was a starting of the world as we know it. But otherwise, it's just eternity. And then we have Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel. The beginning, actually, the word beginning uh, means origin or cause. It can also mean the starting of something. And in this case here, when you talk about the beginning of, God is breaking in. Mark is just preparing the people that God is breaking in. God is acting again on planet earth in his world. God is up to something. And it is exciting. It is the beginning of something new. 
God has been silent. At that time, God has been silent for 400 years between the Old and the New Testament. But now, it is the beginning of something. God is breaking into His world again. We all like beginnings, isn't it? We are going to begin a new year in what, 20 days? Oh, we look forward to it now. 20, 2016, I've got too many headaches, too many heartaches, too many problems. I'm looking for a new beginning. Maybe some of you are looking for that. But the beginning of something is always very exciting. For example, wedding. Oh, the beginning of a, of a married life together. Or parenthood, the birth of a child. It is the beginning of parenthood. Oh, you are, you, you, no, next year, January the 1st, you are entering into a new job, into a new, new beginning in your career. You look forward to it. Or you're looking forward to get that key, you know, to that new house of God, of yours, you know, the beginning of life, you know, and staying in a home in that new house of, your, of yours. We always look forward to new beginnings. And in the history of the people of God, there are many new beginnings. God wiped out the earth. It was a new beginning for Noah and his people. God called Abraham out of Ur. It was a new beginning for Abraham. And the nations will be blessed through him. God delivered the people from the bondages of Egypt. Led them into the promised land. A new beginning. So when, John, or when Mark says, the beginning of, oh, it strikes a chord in our heart. God, you are up to something. It starts with you and things will not be the same again. Perhaps God is giving you a new beginning as well. If you just look to Him, it's a new beginning, a new season. The beginning of what? I don't know. But God is doing he is the God of new beginnings. Somebody say, Amen. Oh, new beginnings comes with God. New beginnings start with God. Look to Him even as you conclude this year and begin a new year. You fill in the blanks. The beginning of what is it that you expect God to do to break through in your life. This good news had a beginning, an indication of a breakthrough of God. But it is also a gift of good news. It is a gift. The beginning of the gospel. The gospel actually is good news. And that's what we want to hear, isn't it? The latest news has been bad news. One MDB, bad news. Rohingya, bad news. For some people, Donald Trump, bad news. Earthquake in Aceh, bad news. GST, bad or good news?
unilateral conversion in Perlis, bad news. Wherever you turn is bad news. You read until you're fed up with the newspaper and you don't bother to read the newspaper anymore because it all, it's all just bad news. Where can we find good news? Come to church. Amen. Hallelujah. This is where the good news is. And when we talk about Christmas, it's good news in a bad news world. Hallelujah. It's good news. The beginning of the gospel. The word gospel actually is God's spell. You know, and it actually means God's story. The good news of God's story. God's story is always good news. Why is the gospel good news? The gospel is good news. In this one verse itself, Mark chapter 1 verse 1, we have three reasons why the gospel is good news. Because it is focused on a person. And the person is Jesus. Jesus is the given name. The angel announced even to Mary and Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. And Jesus is from the Old Testament version of Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. So although there is no Christmas story about the birth in a manger, about a lot of other details found in the other Gospels, but this very word, Jesus, already encapsulates everything of the, of, about Christmas. The reason why Jesus Christ is born. Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. That's the good news. Men have been struggling with sin for so long. There is no deliverance. There is no victory. There is no forgiveness. Until Jesus Christ comes into the picture. And His name is? His name is? Jesus. For He will save the people from their sins. That's the reason why Christ is born. But in today's world and even in many churches, people don't talk much about sin anymore. In fact, Joel Austin, a famous, a very popular TV and social media preacher, he says, we don't talk about sin. We talk about People making mistakes only. Yeah, people make mistakes, but it's not sin. So there's no need for forgiveness. They have cheapened even the grace of God in some churches. But that, that defeats the very reason why Jesus Christ come. If there's no sin, why should Jesus Christ come? Why should God send His Son? Why should... Yahweh be called Yahweh of salvation. But for this reason He comes, that we might be saved from our sins. Somebody say Amen. This is the essence. This is the good news. 
the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ. Thoughts about his position. Christ is not the name of Jesus. When we say Jesus Christ, some people think, oh, Jesus is the first name and Christ is the last name. Just like Vincent is the first name, Leo is the last name. No, 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 it's not. Christ is not the name, but it is a title. Jesus, but when you have Jesus Christ, it is very, very powerful. Christ is actually the great title, Christo, or the Messiah in, in the Hebrew, which means the anointed one. And the Jews have been waiting for the Messiah all this while. They know that the Messiah is coming. They've been waiting and waiting. And when the Messiah comes, He will deliver them from their enemies. And their enemies in those days were the Romans. They're looking for the Messiah as a political king. And so when Mark announced the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, wow, it sent shivers down their spine. It is something that they've been praying and waiting for all these years. So the moment that, they mentioned, that Mark mentioned Christ, the Messiah, they were excited. Just as much as preteens and teenager girls, they will go crazy when the name of Justin Bieber, oh, they go crazy. When that name is mentioned, they go crazy. And so, when Mark announced Christ, the Jews will go crazy. This is something they have been waiting for. In Mark chapter 8, verse 29 or verse 28, there was speculation of who Jesus Christ was. And so Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? Oh, some say you are Elijah. Some say you are John the Baptist or one of the prophets. Jesus turned around and he asked the disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Peter with a revelation from the Father, he says, you are the Christ. The confession, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the one, the chosen one. That's how powerful the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nowadays, when we hear the name of Jesus Christ, it may not mean much to us. In fact, in a lot of Hollywood movies, they curse and they swear. How? By using the name of Jesus Christ. Not as a name to revere, as the Messiah, as the one who forgives us of our sins, but becomes a curse word. And sometimes even for Christians, we do not know the meaning of it. Jesus Christ. But to the Jew, they know it's powerful. It's powerful. 
and we have his power as well. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Some people say, where, where, in the, where in the Bible does it say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Hey, right here, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Right from the very beginning, very early, very, very early, Mark already tells us he's the one. Jesus Christ is the one. Not only is he Jesus, not only is he the Christ, he's the Son of God. Affirmed by the Father, when Jesus was baptized and he rose up from the water, the voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Mark chapter 1, verse 11. And even the devil confessed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And even the centurion recognized that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Mark chapter 3, verse 11, 15, and verse 39. Oh, he has the power. So you find, it says here, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In the Greek, you know, it sounds very astounding, very abrupt. But in the Greek, it's even more abrupt. Okay, to Evangelion, Yesu Christu. Beginning, gospel, Jesus Christ. What Mark is saying is, here is Jesus Christ. He is just introducing the Savior of the world, the King. And for that statement, in those days, when the whole territory was under the Roman Empire, they recognized only one king. Caesar is king. And so, when, 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 when Mark introduced Jesus Christ in this manner, as the reigning king, in this manner, Jesus Christ is king. What he's saying is, Jesus Christ is king. That statement uttered in our days can be considered seditious. And he could have been jailed for that. Because he is saying something against the Roman Empire in the sense. He is recognizing another king. The police would have, and the, and the Roman army would have taken Mark in for questioning. But it's abrupt, it's powerful, it's astounding. And it is the good news. That's what the good news is all about, church. In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just simply good news. But why the gospel is news and what makes it good? Besides the three things that we have talked about, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let me give you seven reasons. Taken from the gospel of Luke chapter 2 verse 1 to 14, in the Annunciation and also the, uh, the appearance of the angels. Seven reasons the gospel is good news. And you can apply it in your life. The gospel is good news because it banishes fear. Number one, 
Angel says, fear not. Number two, it brings great joy. Verse 10, Luke chapter 2. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Number three, it is for all people. Also verse 10. Number four, it emphasizes the individual. It is for you, for you, for you. Number five, it, is, it saves. The gospel is good news because it is salvation for us. A savior which is Christ the Lord. Number six, it glorifies God. Glory to God in the highest. And number seven, it gives real and lasting peace. Verse 14, and on earth peace, goodwill towards man. So the gospel is definitely good news. Have you received the good news lately? So you find that in the first verse of Mark, Mark introduces us at the gospel, at the beginning of his gospel, not to an event, event the birth of Bethlehem or the manger or the, you know, or the inn or the, or, 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 or the shepherd or the wise man. But Mark introduces us to a person in an atmosphere of great anticipation and, and, and expectation. Mark is pointing to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and He is our good news. Somebody say, Amen. But is this good news really new news? No. Actually, the good news is reloaded. This is using contemporary language. You have the matrix reloaded. Those of you who are watching those fans of the matrix. Good news reloaded. The good news actually is not new at all. This is, this, you know, by the time Mark wrote about it, it is actually version 2 or version 3. Well, there is version 1, which is the Old Testament. New Testament is version 2. And for us, I don't know what version already, but it is nothing new. It is reloaded. Verse 2 says, as it is written. Mark points them back even to the prophecies and the promises of God. It is written. It is in the continuous tense, indicating a continuous result. As it is written, a continuation from the Old Testament to the New. So it's not something new that Mark is writing about. And he begins to quote from the Old Testament and the prophets. You see, the Christmas story in the Bible begins earlier than we expected. It was written, it was already emphasized you know, by the prophets. This is what they look forward to. And in fact, the very first promise of the coming of Christ was given in the first book of the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. That is the first gospel. Genesis 3, 15. The Savior is going to come. <clears throat> the Messiah is coming and he will bruise the head of the serpent. And his, his, his heel will be wounded as well. But here in Genesis 3.15 is the first promise. So the prophets have a lot to say about the coming of Christ. The prophets tell us the place of Christ's birth. 
Can you just imagine 700 years before Christ was born, Micah already prophesied, Bethlehem will be the place. The prophets tell us about the means of Christ's birth. Isaiah says he shall be born of a virgin. 600 years before the birth of Christ. The prophets tell us the effect of Christ's birth, the many miracles that he will do. The prophets also tell us the reason for Christ's birth. Oh, Isaiah chapter 53 is a gospel in itself. Every single thing that's written in Isaiah 53, the miniature gospel, came to pass. So when Mark talks about it as it is written, it is the good news reloaded. From what the prophets have been saying, Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 points to Jesus' escape to and coming out of Egypt. Jeremiah 31 15, the grief and the sorrows of the mothers of Bethlehem when Herod gave a decree to kill all the babies that were born two years and under. And Malachi 4, 5 and 6, chapter 4 verse 5 and 6 talks about even the coming of the Messiah. And the day of the Lord, ushered in by Elijah the prophet, and that's how the Old Testament ended. There are over 300 separate prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah, given in exquisite detail of the birth of Christ. What are the probabilities that all these 300 prophecies come to pass. Now, if you have two prophecies concerning yourself, one after another, for it to come to pass, the prob probability is very high already. But you have 300 prophecies and all coming to pass, what are the probabilities? Charles Riley says, it will require 200 billion earth. 200 billion earth, alright? Populated with 4 billion people each, to come up with one person whose life could fulfill 100 accurate prophecies without any errors in sequence. And yet the Bible has 300 prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ. Peter Stoner in his book, Science Speech, just say, if, if there are eight prophecies concerning Christ, what's the probability, probability of all these eight coming to pass. The chance that any man might have fulfilled all eight prophecies is 1 in 10 to the 17. That would be 1 in 100 followed by 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0. In fact, it is 100 quadrillion. Now, our mind cannot calculate, all right? We can only calculate up to 2.6 billion only. And after that, cannot already. Stuck already. Stuck already. 100 quadrillion cannot imagine. Alright? Stop. Mine got stuck. But there's a probability. There's a probability. It's an almost impossibility. And yet, it came to pass. The good news reloaded. It's nothing new. The prophets have spoken about it. And this is the promise of God. Everything God said was true. God is always faithful to His Word. 
Every promises of, of promises of God, He will keep. Not one word, not one promise will fall. And that's the God that we believe in. Everything that He has spoken, He will bring to pass. What He has promised to you, what He has promised to me, it will come to pass. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. So you hold on. Hold on to God. Everything that the Bible says, brothers and sisters, it will come to pass. And this is all, what we are talking about is only the prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ. There are more prophecies concerning the second coming of Christ. In this book, hold on to the promise. It will come to pass. God is still in control. Lastly, the good news of Jesus Christ is powerful. Everybody say powerful. It is powerful. Maybe before that, let me just give an explanation. Otherwise, it may not be complete. The prophecies, as it is written, found in Mark chapter 1, verse 2, Actually, Mark did not even go into the prophecies concerning Christ as I have done. Mark rather focused on the prophecies concerning the messenger of Christ, John the Baptist. And he quoted from Isaiah 40 verse 3 and Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. Because John the Baptist is the one that will prepare the way of the Lord. All right? So the prophecies as it is written is, a, is, is, is an indirect quotation you know, referring to not the Messiah, but the messenger of the Messiah that plays an important role introducing Jesus Christ as the Messiah. So how much more? If even prophecies concerning the, 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 the road runner or the road builder or the road preparer comes to pass in the person of John the Baptist, how much more every promises of God? So the good news of Jesus Christ is powerful. Mark uses the historical present tense over 150 times. So in the original language, instead of writing Jesus came, Mark wrote Jesus comes in the present tense. Mark never said, Mark, Jesus said, but rather Jesus says. Not Jesus heal, but Jesus heals. In other words, Jesus, or everything that Jesus did, all the things that He did in the past, He's still doing them in the present. He saved in the past, He still saves right now. He healed in the past, He still heals right now. Somebody say, Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. There's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not a past tense gospel. It is a present tense. Tim Keller writes, Jesus is not merely a historical figure, but a living reality who addresses us today. Everything that you hear, read about in the Gospel of Mark, it is applicable and it will work in your life. That is the power of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is in the DNA of the Gospel. There is life-changing power 
in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The DNA is already there. Everything that it touches, every heart that it enters in, it brings about change. It brings about transformation. The gospel changes everything. It changes everything, brothers and sisters. When I receive the gospel, it changes every facet of my life. And even my future, everything. When the gospel enters into your life, into somebody's life, it changes everything. Nothing remains the same. Daniel Webster says, if the power of the gospel is not felt throughout the land and breadth of the land, anarchy and misrule, degradation and misery, corruption and darkness will reign without mitigation or end. Even he recognizes the power of the gospel. It will penetrate into every level of society. The land. Perhaps that's why we got so many problems in Malaysia. We must witness the penetration of the gospel into every level of society. Then you will begin to see the change that we desire. <clears throat> That's why Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Everybody say, power of God. The gospel is the power of God. God wants to do great things in this world. How? Through the gospel. That is His means. You know how powerful the gospel is? You know how I was saved? Not even necessary through the preaching of others. I was just... I just took up a book and I read a book. I thought it was a book on psychology. But it turned out to be a Christian writer. And he quoted from one verse of the Bible, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. We sang that song this morning. And that one verse itself led me to Jesus Christ. I said, now who is this Jesus? Through whom I can do all things. Who is this Jesus? He's so powerful. <clears throat> I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God for salvation first to the Jews and to the Greeks, to, the, to every level of society and humankind. Do you recognize the power of God in your life? Are you experiencing the gospel power in your life right now? You see, there's nothing to stop the gospel. It is unstoppable. What we have, the gospel that we have is unstoppable. All right, no governments can put the Bible into chains, can, can, can imprison even the gospel. Once it is released, there is a power on its own. A person, a person in the, in the, in, in the prison who picks up a gospel track, somehow the word is so powerful. The gospel has a way to convince a person to come to Christ. When you share Christ with somebody, the gospel power is released. And that's why in Iran right now, the gospel is unstoppable. In China right now, with over 100 million Christians, the gospel is unstoppable because it has a power of its own. It has a power of its own. That's why... We must reach the lost. How? With the gospel. The gospel. Share 
share the gospel, brothers and sisters. Even during this Christmas, you never know it. Our team, our missions team have gone all the way to Philippines. Praise God for the many souls saved and healed and delivered. They went all the way to Bangladesh, just came back also. And there's a team in Myanmar, Indonesia. Praise God. But right here where we are, we have the good news. What do we do with it? We must share it. We must share it. Use the opportunity. It is a crime to keep the good news to ourselves. If you know where good food is, don't keep it to yourself, okay? Share with others. Hey, this place is good. Good and cheap, lah. They say, the word good news actually comes, you know, in, 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 in our English, it's evangelism, evangelion, good news, gospel. In the verb, in the verb form, it is evangelize. Let's do it. Let's share the gospel. Give out an invitation. You never know how the gospel will penetrate into lives. But before you share it, you must experience the gospel yourself. You must unleash the power of the gospel. And how do you unleash? How do you release the power of the gospel? How does the gospel work? It becomes good news for us. Only when something happens. The good news becomes good news for us. The gospel becomes good news for us when we accept it. When we apply it. And when we allow it to change our lives. And then, we will be able to de declare the fifth gospel. Not just Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. The fifth gospel is yourself. What is the gospel according to you? If you have experienced it, you can share it. Oh, and see the joy of people coming to Christ. So let's accept it, believe it, live it, read Saturate yourself with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Constantly immerse yourself in, gospel, in, in reading the gospels and receive it. Remember, it is in a historical present tense when you read everything that Mark writes about Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Receive it, believe it, walk in it experience the power of the gospel. The gospel is available by faith. There is no profit in the gospel if it is not mixed with faith. So receive it and you will begin to experience it. It is a very, very powerful gospel. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news of Christmas. Let's give the Lord a big hand. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Hallelujah.